You're listening to episode 158 of the Christian Travelers Network. Today's topic is Following the Apostle Paul with Darren Hibbs. You're listening to Christian Travelers Network, the podcast and platform where travel stories, community, and scripture combine. Hey, Christian Travelers, I am so glad that you are here. This month, we are diving into Turkey. Many of us know Israel and Jerusalem to be significant holy sites from Scripture, but 75% of the New Testament is the journeys of Paul, and much of that actually happened in Turkey. So we're excited to have Darren share a little bit about his time visiting there and some of the significance of those places in Turkey. But before we dive in, I want to once again point you to our website, christiantravelers.net. There you'll find other faith and travel resources, opportunities to connect with Christians around the world, and we're launching our online platform soon, which allows you to connect with Christians, share your travel stories, and plan trips together. So don't miss out on that opportunity. Head to our website, sign up for our email list for the latest updates with that. But without further ado, Darren Hibbs has worked in full-time ministry, construction industry, and has published several books. He is passionate about bringing the message of hope to the lost and broken through the immeasurable love of Jesus. Hey, Darren, how are you doing? I'm doing good, Sarah. Thanks for having me on. Yes, thank you. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your visit to Turkey and Istanbul? Uh, yeah, so I live in the Midwest now. I'm originally from Texas, and my wife and I relocated here to be uh, a part and adjacent to the International House of Prayer about six mm-hmm. years ago now. So it's a place where there's 24-7 prayer and worship. It's a really neat place. Um, incidentally, there was one just like it in Istanbul in about uh, two, actually 100 AD when it was still called Byzantium. Um, but, uh, anyway, so I, like you said, I write books, I have a podcast, I do all of the things, all of the internet-y things. Um, if you search for my name, I come up and, uh, and you're off to the races. But, uh, so it, it, I will say it's been 20 years since this trip that that we're going to talk about today. Um, I'm coming up this December will be 20 years. My wife and I have been married, so fun, fun time. And we decided to honeymoon in Turkey. Wow. Uh, what made you guys choose that destination? Two main things, really. Uh, Number one, it was cheap. Um, you know, there's, there's so much economic and financial upheaval going on right now. And actually Turkey is suffering a bit of that at the moment we're, we see inflation right now, like right now in, this is being recorded in April of 2022 or it may, it's May now, of 2022 and we're seeing you know rumors of 10 percent inflation i think it's probably actually higher than that but mm-hmm. turkey had just gone through a period of super high super inflation uh you know in the thousands of percent per year kind of thing and so wow. um it was really cheap when i actually took my like 2500 dollars that i had for the trip and that was living pretty high at the time, I exchanged that for I think about three and a half billion lira, wow. Turkish lira, and so you know everything that we bought just had tons of zeros on the end of it. It was crazy. The money they they eventually, I think they cut seven zeros, 
think they cut seven zeros off their currency about a year after we were there. Anyway, it was cheap. And number two, we wanted to kind of set missions in our hearts uh, mm-hmm. from the beginning of our marriage. And so we went to, to Turkey. Specifically, we had a, a, a good friend from Turkey who was a Christian at the time. I mean, he's still a Christian, but he, he was a, a Turkish Christian. At the time, they were rare, very, very rare. And so we wanted to kind of just put a flag in the ground and say that our hearts are for missions and for the lost and in places like that. And it was cheap. Yeah. That sounds like a very strong way to start your marriage off. And also congratulations on your 20 year anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Yes. Um, So you said at that time, Christians were kind of rare there. Do you have any idea what that looks like today? I don't know about today. I know it's I, at the time, the 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 numbers that I always heard tossed around was about twenty thousand Turkish Christians mm-hmm. out of a nation of one hundred fifty million. So it was one of the least reached Muslim countries on earth at the time. Interesting. I don't know that things have. There are more now for sure, but mm-hmm. I don't think that it's a lot better. Yeah. Oftentimes, Turkey and sometimes Muslim countries in general are kind of stereotyped as being unsafe places. And I know you visited 20 years ago, but what was your experience when you visited then? Um, Well, you know, interestingly enough, 20 years ago, the rumors were circling around. It hadn't hadn't happened yet, but we were thinking that we were going to go to war with Iraq um, Mm -hmm. in 2002, which we ended up doing in 2003. Um, but you know, my parents were a little nervous about that thinking like, what, you know, you're going to be going to Turkey in the midst of, you know, this conflict that may or may not happen. Like, but it's like, you know, Turkey and Iraq, they're worlds apart. It's going to be fine. Turkey is going through some transitions right now, but it's still a beautiful nation. As far as I understand, it is a beautiful nation, but the political upheaval and all the things going on, I don't know that it would necessarily affect most tourists mm-hmm. um it, it's it's somewhat stable as, as far as how much craziness is going on in the world right now i think uh, turkey depends on tourism and and antalya where we're going to mainly talk about it is a tourist hot spot for europeans and so they love americans to come over and spend money <laughs> yes Okay, well, speaking of hot spots, uh, what did your itinerary look like or what places did you guys visit? Um, well, if you're flying there from here, you're going to land in Istanbul. And so we spent three days in Istanbul. And I thought it'd be cool just to see Istanbul. There's, of course, the if you're going just to see the city, it's it's just a massive city. It's huge. And and the center part of the city, the old city, is is really beautiful. It's really amazing. Um, if you're going as a Christian, you have to go see the Hagia Sophia. It was um, it, it's such a significant church in church history. It's the church that became the head of the Eastern Orthodox Church, the Eastern Church, mm-hmm. when the the Roman Catholic, the Western Church, and the Eastern Church split. An emissary, you know, messenger from Rome came and laid a document at the steps of the Hagia Sophia. Uh, basically saying shape up or, you know, we're going to use church discipline and the Eastern church is like, see ya, you know, so it's, it's a really significant place in church history. It's a beautiful structure. Interestingly enough, I'm not even, I'm not sure if you can visit there, how the visitation is because just last year, year before president Erdogan, uh, it, it was a church 
it became a mosque after the Turks took over. And then they built the uh, Sultan Ahmet Mosque, which is called the Blue Mosque, next to it. And then they turned the Hagia Sophia into a museum, and now they've turned it back into a mosque. So I don't know if you can even visit it as a church anymore. I'm not sure the, the status right now, but, but Istanbul is a beautiful place. So three days in Istanbul and then seven days in the Antalya area. Okay. Interesting um, and crazy how much one uh, church has seen in such a short period of time, how much transition. A lot of transition, a lot of yeah. transition. Yeah. Okay. So after you visited Istanbul, you visited? Antalya. Antalya. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? So on Antalya, Istanbul obviously is an ancient city. Antalya is also an ancient city. And, and one of the things uh, about Antalya is it is... It's on the Mediterranean, um, and if you want, I can bring up a map just to give uh, some some reference here. Uh, for those of your video followers, it's on on the map right now on the screen. Um, so here you can see Istanbul in the northwestern corner of Turkey, and Antalya is down here. And Antalya, right on the Mediterranean, is a beautiful place, absolutely gorgeous, and it is uh, a tourist hot spot. We went in December, uh, so there weren't really a lot of people there. It, mm -hmm. it was it was cold and it was empty. So if you want, you know, to have the city all to yourself, go in December. You don't get to swim in the Mediterranean or anything like that. But it was absolutely gorgeous, and so we just got to hung hang out and have the city to ourselves and get to go see some of the ancient sites as well. Interesting. Um, is the, I, I guess I'm a little unfamiliar, like with its geography. Is it similar to the Midwest in terms of summers and winters, or how does that? It was probably well. The no, it's it's warmer. Antalya is warmer than the Midwest would be. I'm in the Kansas City area. Mm -hmm. It's it's definitely warmer, but it was still chilly. It was it was I would describe it as like a Texas winter in Antalya. You know, 50s, 40s and 50s, even into the 60s on occasion in December. So it wasn't too bad, but it was it was it was not going to lay on a beach. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. In December, you can go there and lay on a beach in the summer. and It's beautiful. Yeah. OK, interesting. Well, um, so while you were there, you visited some historic sites. What were some of those that stood out to you? Yeah, I can bring those up again on the screen here. Yeah. Um, let me go ahead and, and just talk about a couple of them. This is, uh, right now I'm showing a picture of Hadrian's gate. And I guess for your audio listeners, you can look this up. Hadrian was the, the, the Caesar of Rome in uh, around 110 AD or something like that. And they built this gate specifically for him. This mm -hmm. is what it looks like right now. This is actually what it used to look like. And if you notice right there in the center, you can see that there's these ruts. And when my wife and I went, there was absolutely nothing there that, that you know, there was, there was nothing there, like no plaques, no touristy type thing saying this is Hadrian's Gate. We found it. We knew what it was. Um, now they've changed that a bit. And that's the way kind of a lot of stuff was in Turkey back then, mm. some of these sites. And so you could actually go and in the, the slabs there are made of marble. And I'll show this again. The slabs at the bottom there are marble, and they're the original marble from 110 AD, whenever you know around then. And the wagons that people would pull through there, they rutted. So many people pulled their wagons back and forth 
through the marble that it created ruts in that. And so you can sit there and you can put your hands into the ruts that were formed by people's carts. Really, really cool. Interesting. Um, incidentally, when you look at the, the gauge of railroad, like the, the railroads they use in Europe, the 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 width of the two rails were actually set by those ruts that pe everyone's wagons in Europe uh, during the Roman period had to all the, the wheels had to be the same width apart. Otherwise, you couldn't go through the city streets because there were always ruts created by people's wagons and carts. Mm -hmm. And so that's why that gauge got set the way it did. Really interesting. Yeah, that is. Aside from that destination, what were some of the other places that you got to see? Uh, so I'll show you just a picture real fast of um, another picture of Antalya. And this mm -hmm. is the port of Antalya. So this is where Paul and Barnabas would have sailed uh, out of at one point. Here's another picture of it. Just a gorgeous, beautiful place. Um, Antalya is, is such a gorgeous place. The other place we went to is an ancient ruin called Perga. And Paul and Barnabas and Mark visited Perga. And this is actually in the book of Acts where it says that Mark left Paul and Barnabas, and which ended mm -hmm. up leading to Paul and Barnabas splitting. But yeah. Mark left them in the city of Perga. And actually, Perga in ancient times, it's inland quite a bit, uh, 10 miles, something like that. But in ancient times, Perga had a canal that went to it. So it was actually a port. They built a, a canal for 10 miles, making it one of the primary ports. And it was the capital city of the ancient province of Pamphylia. And what you can see here is this long colonnade. This The city had about a mile and a half long marketplace colonnade. And in this picture that I'm showing right now, it shows that what's left and what they've reassembled of that colonnade. But you can imagine it have been beautiful. All of the shops and the and the walkway itself would have been covered. Mm -hmm. And and there was a, a like a fountain at the very head of the city, at the top of the hill, or at the base of this hill. And water would have flown from an aqueduct underneath this fountain and then into a channel that flowed right down the middle of this whole thing. Here's a picture of that colonnade and you can see the, the shop doors. All of that again would have been covered. Um, so it would have been kind of like an indoor walking mall, just absolutely gorgeous. And here's the fountain heads. So the water would have flowed out from underneath this, this statue into that channel there in the middle. So here's an artist rendition that I stole what they think it may have looked like back in, in Paul and Barnabas's day. Um, but it's an absolutely, absolutely beautiful city. And just getting to walk there and imagining what it must have been like for Paul and Barnabas to share the gospel there in that market, up and down those streets would have been just really phenomenal. Yes. And it's crazy to think that um, as they walk there, they started so many churches and Christianity was just beginning to flourish there um, yeah. to kind of what it is today where there's so much Muslim culture there. Um, just the transition over time. Yeah. In Perga, there's actually two Byzantine era churches. So pre 300 AD, you know, that, that are a direct result, a direct lineage of Paul and Barnabas's work there. Wow. That gives me goosebumps. Um, were you able to attend a church while you were there? 
We did actually attend a church service in Antalya. There was, there's one church in Antalya. And so we attended that and it's for expatriates. Religious freedom for the longest time, it, it's, it's been part of the Turkish system as they have religious freedom, but in practicality, they don't. Mm-hmm. So by constitution, they do, but it's kind of like a wink, wink, nod, nod kind of thing is you, you have to be, if you're Turkish, you have to be Muslim or there's consequences. And mm-hmm. so, so the church was technically an expatriate church, but there were some Turks that attended it as well. And, and I don't even know if that church still exists. I think there's actually more than one, but at the time in a city of maybe 200,000, 150,000 people, there was one church and the Sunday we went, there was probably 15 to 20 people there. Mm. Interesting. Um, can you define what an expatriate church is? Oh, so it'd be people, you know, not Turks, Europeans, mostly Europeans, Americans, people like that. So there were a few missionaries that would went to church there and, and mostly Europeans who enjoyed the city of Antalya so much they decided to move there. Interesting. So um, if Christianity is kind of um, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, kind of under the rug, um, are they able to worship anywhere freely or is it kind of just in homes and private? Are they not really allowed to share their faith openly? Yes and no. I, ha- I had a roommate in college who went on a mission trip to Ankara and they were passing out what's called an Injil. It's the Arabic New Testament. It's the, it's, it's the Bible. It's the New Testament of the Bible. The Muslims call it the Injil. Muhammad uh, actually commands people to read the Injil, the New Testament. Not actually sure why, but uh, <laughs> most Muslims don't. They don't know that they're supposed to, that the Quran commands them to read it. Um, they don't know why. And so he and other American you know, missionaries were passing out Injils, New Testaments, in Arabic, in the city square in, in Ankara, and they got arrested mm-hmm. and thrown in jail for it. And so it's legal, but they still arrested them and threw it in jail. Yeah. Threw them in jail. Interesting. Um, out of curiosity, what was the process of them getting out? <laughs> the, that's a crazy story. Um, I hate to tell his story, but it's so cool. They were, they were, so they got arrested passing out the Bibles. But the World Cup was going on and Turkey was playing, I can't remember, Ghana or somebody, and it was a close match. And so they got arrested during the World Cup match. And so long story short, they're in this jail and all of the jailers, all the cops are watching the World Cup and Turkey won. And when Turkey won, they threw such a big party, they threw open all of the jail cells and told everyone to go. They just cleared out the jail and said, everyone can just go. And they, they, they closed it down. They left work and they all went out partying because Turkey won. So they had almost like this supernatural biblical style of, of release from prison. Yeah. That reminds me so much of Paul's story when he, you know, got released by the Lord so many times from prison too. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Is there any other points or things, areas you'd like to take the conversation about Turkey? Yeah. Let me show you uh, just a couple pictures of the city of Aspendos. Now, Aspendos is not a a biblical, there's nothing in the Bible about Aspendos, but there's a couple of cool things about it if you're a history buff or if you like to see it. And it's right next to Antalya and Perga. 
uh, not a far drive. This is the most well-preserved, the picture that's on the screen right now is the most well-preserved amphitheater in all of the Roman world. And, mm. and it has never, like it's, it's been cared for. So they didn't have to rebuild it or anything. It's been like this since it was built. Mm. Um, and so it, it, it's a really, really cool place. And they still hold plays there. They still use it. Um, so you can kind of see, you know, without it having to be rebuilt, what they would have looked like. Um, and the cool thing uh, about the Aspendos Amphitheater is Aspendos is actually a, a plateau. It's it's a little mesa. It's a little bitty hill with pretty sharp, steep cliffs on most of the sides. So it's a well-defensible city, and the amphitheater is built into that hill. And so I want to show you a picture here of this is probably one of the most famous pieces of aqueduct in all of the world. I actually studied this specific aqueduct in college. And when I saw it, I couldn't believe it that I didn't know where it was when I studied in college. When I saw it, I'm like, we have to go over there. So my wife and I went over there and one of the locals actually took us up. And I don't know if you can see that there's little slits in that main tower portion. There's actually an ancient staircase in there. We actually walked up inside it. There's nothing guarding this saying, tourists don't come here, stay away. We went up inside the thing. The guy local showed us around and then he took us to our to his house and gave us Turkish tea because he was just excited in the wintertime to see a foreigner. And, and so, but this aqueduct, what it is, is I should probably show that picture again, is um, the aqueducts, the water would come from the, the lakes. They would have reservoirs or things like that in the mountains with cold water. And then it would flow on top of the aqueduct in a pipe. And then right here, Aspendos is at least 150 feet higher than the rest of the, the, air, the surrounding area. And mm -hmm. so what this was is it was a little bend, but also it elevated, it, it shot the water up. And so the pipes would get smaller on this little elevator um, and it would, it would turn the water into a jet so that this, the top of the city of Aspendus, 150, 200 feet up, actually had uh, running water. It had hot and cold running water that you could, you know, you could turn on a tap and water would come out kind of thing. So they actually had uh, modern style plumbing in the ancient world. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah, that's interesting. And also interesting that you studied it and then kind of stumbled upon it. I, it was, it was an accident. I did not know it was there. I did not know where that city was, but I remember that, that being one of the few remaining aqueduct sections that actually increased the water pressure to provide running water, like the pressurized running water for a city. Interesting. Interesting. Well, um, as we're kind of nearing the end of the podcast, do you have any other faith or travel tips or uh, advice about visiting Turkey that you would like to share with our audience? Yeah, I, th I think it's a really cool thing to get to go see places. There's tons of tours you can take, you know, like the seven churches in in Revelation, they're all in Turkey, Ephesus, uh, these places. Those are really cool. I prefer the path less traveled, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so even though Antalya is a, a kind of a famous tourist city for Europeans, most Americans probably haven't heard of it, but it's a beautiful ancient city. The Perga, Espendos, uh, there's some other ancient cities around there. They're really cool places that not a whole lot of people have 
have visited. Not all of Americans have visited. It's not on those seven church tour stops kind of thing. So I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it was a great place to honeymoon, such a beautiful city. I do think that um, if you have the means and the ability that then going and walking in, in the footsteps of the mm-hmm. Bible is really powerful, mm-hmm. you know, because it, it, it makes it real. It makes it real. And very often, if you just read the words on a page and you don't fellowship with God, with the Holy Spirit, and you've never been there, it, it can just seem like stories. And and there's tons of people out there that want to convince you that it's just stories, that they're myths, that it didn't happen, and none of this is real. But it's so real. And getting to, to be there and, you know, the, the, the touch and the smells and, and all just all of the, the things that you experience when you're there. And this is Turkey, Israel, anywhere like that it it makes it so real yes actually on a related note did you feel like your faith was impacted from this trip in some ways yeah i mean it was really i i I sat there my wife and i hung out at the the harbor the little port of antalya and it's it's virtually unchanged i know they've done some work and and added and changed it but it's virtually unchanged it's very much like the port that was there in you know, 50 AD. Mm-hmm. And so we spent a significant time sitting there and I just was thinking about how Paul and Barnabas, they got on a boat and they sailed away from there, you know, and that the port probably looked very similar in size and scope to the way it did then. And just wondering what it must've been like to get on the boat there and sail away. What it must've been like to travel up the canal into Perga. And it talks about in Acts 14, how Paul and Barnabas preached you know, the word of God throughout Perga. And I remember walking down those, those steps along that colonnade, you know, thinking I'm, I'm actually stepping in the same place that he stepped. It was, it was really neat. Yeah. Sounds like it really just kind of brought it to life for you. I did. I did. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the questions that we always ask our guests is what has been the biggest God moment in all of your travels? So I'll, I'll answer that. It's not about the trip to Turkey. I went on a mission trip to Guatemala in the year 2000. And uh, I was a college student at the time. And when I was there, I had asked a certain friend to, to pray for me. And, and you know how those trips go is, is kids that are on college going on youth mission trip kind of things. Um, they ask everyone to pray for me, but really we need you money to support the trip. Uh, but there was this one friend, I knew she prayed. I knew she was a praying person. And I, I really did ask her specifically, would you pray while we're there? It's going to be a lot of what we're doing was backpacking through uh, mountain villages that had no roads or communication, very, very archaic areas. Um, and and so a lot of it was really intense. There was some intense spiritual warfare with like witchcraft and weird stuff going on. Um, I mean, these people are like animists and, and, you know, there's animal pagan sacrifices going on. It was very, very interesting. And I had a a journal, I was taking notes and there were five times in my journal where I wrote these very specific stories. And it was five times where there was just this crisis moment where I cried out and, and almost all of them were in the evenings at night and uh, four of the five. And I cried out and I said, Lord, you've got to do something about this now. Lord, please come through right now. And all five times, 
exactly what I asked for. Like I asked for something specific each one of those five times and all five times exactly what I asked for happened exactly in that moment, like right then. And, um, and so when I got home, I, I, I had those five stories of like, wow, the Lord just came through exactly as I asked. And when I got home, I went to talk to our friend Loretta and, and she showed me her journal and I didn't tell her anything. I had, I had a word with my mother before, before on our way home. And she's like, you know, our friend Loretta told me the same story. I was telling her about some of these stories. She's like, she told me the same story. I said, what? And so, so I'm like, I need to talk to her. So she came over. I had told her nothing. No one had told her anything. I'd been out of communication the whole time I was in Guatemala. And so she sat down, she opened her journal and she told me the five stories. She told me in a dream, she saw me in this encounter and she had described the encounter to me. She described the people I was with and she told me the words that I prayed. And then she would wake up and mark the time that she woke up from the dream. And in my journal, I had written down the time, three of the five stories. I'd written down the time that it was happening and she had the exact same time. Oh my gosh. And so that, that marked me. <laughs> it, it, was, it was a difficult trip. It was an intense trip, but that marked me like nothing else. Oh my goodness. Wow. She has a lot of spiritual connection and the Lord really worked through that scenario. Well, all five of those scenarios um, in an incredible way. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Okay, Darren. Well, we've really enjoyed having you on the show. How can our listeners connect with you outside of today's episode? So again, if they Google Darren Hibbs, they're going to find me. My main thing that I spend my time on is the 10-week Bible study. Mm -hmm. uh, I write books for that. I have a podcast called the 10-week Bible study podcast. Um, it's where I encourage people to read the Bible, read like whatever book of the Bible we're going through. So right now we're in First and Second Timothy. So I'm encouraging people to read First and Second Timothy 10 times in 10 weeks that we're going through this. So in my podcast, you listen to me once and you hear God's word 10 times. And that's the that's kind of the premise behind it is I want people to to fill their heart and mind with God's word. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Darren, for being on the show today. We've really enjoyed having you here. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. Thank you. Well, Christian Travelers, I hope that you will go check out Darren's podcast. That sounds like a great way to continue to grow in your faith um, and check out his books as well. Also, um, if you're looking for a place to visit, it sounds like Turkey might be a great destination for you to explore some of Paul's story from the New Testament and check out some of those historical sites and walk through them to reflect on your own faith journey. And if you like today's podcast, I encourage you to hit the subscribe button, leave a review, and share this with a friend. Until next time, safe travels and God bless.